Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to wish everybody a happy and healthy holiday season. I know these are uncertain times. I know you might have a lot of tough conversations, but just know you can always find what you need here at the Lincoln Project, lincolnproject.us. I hope you'll share what we're doing. I hope you'll share this podcast. And again, I hope you enjoy your time with friends and family. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by George Conway, fellow co-founder of The Lincoln Project and member of the Society for the Rule of Law. George is a longtime attorney and longtime pro-democracy activist. George, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time since we've had a chance to sort of sit down and talk. Yeah. We see each other. Probably 91 counts ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. But who's counting? And, well, well, he is. I guarantee you that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I had a question for you, which is in the context, I don't want to get into polling numbers and all that. But what I do want to do is get into the idea of Trump the Iowa caucus is January 15th, and I think he has another trial and or hearing, I think, that starts the next day. Yeah, I think um, I've lost track. I think at some point the E. Jean Carroll damages trial is going to happen. And then he's got another fraud case. I another think. fraud case, I think, involving this Ponzi scheme. He right. helped carry out as part of The Apprentice. The right. Apprentice had a sponsor called ACN, and basically it was what they call a multi-level marketing scam. Mm -hmm. And basically you send money in to them to join, and then the way you make money back is getting by getting other people to join. And it's like a chain letter, and sooner or later somebody gets left holding the bag. So it's the literal definition of a pyramid scheme. Yeah, it, it's a Ponzi <laughs> scheme, absolutely. And that's apparently the evidence I understand it to be pretty good against him. It's a class action, I think, or at least a bunch of plaintiffs. They dropped claims against the kids because the kids were really didn't know that much, but Trump right. was neck deep in it. And that, that'll be interesting too, because it just, you know, everything about this man just about is a fraud and it never stops. I mean, this is Trump water, Trump wine, Trump mm -hmm. steaks, yeah. Trump you, yeah. all of it. I yeah. mean, it's just one grift after another. Absolutely. And even after all that, it turns out, you know, he's skittering around to move $40 million from one bank account yeah. to another. Yeah. And of course the regulators see all this. So, yeah. I mean, I don't often give him much credit for being classically intelligent. No, he's not. But he certainly is manipulative and scheming. I feel like sometimes if you're not going to be intelligent, God gives you this sort yeah, of Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of an interesting debate that you can have about Trump is, I mean, he's a sociopath. And yeah. one of the characteristics, typical characteristics of a sociopath is impulsiveness and an inability to plan. That's Trump. But he does have something of what I call a reptilian instinct to just change the subject, to get under people's skin, and to grift, as you say. But 
you know, his thinking isn't very deep. He's not really capable of that. It involves one, more than one or two steps of actual analysis right. and, and doing, going beyond his little playbook his brain was born with. Um, he can't do it, which is a bad thing for a president of the United States. And I think it's important, and I want to get back to the legal piece of this, but I think it's important there to understand that while he may only have a couple of pages in the playbook, the people around him have books and books right. of stuff and, that and, they and want. And their to. challenge is to control him. He can be manipulated very easily because of his, he's not very smart, and because of his narcissistic ego. You can manipulate him by convincing him that was his idea, or you couple the idea with, this will just show off your brilliance. You know, it's like how they got the, remember how they got Trump to talk about the wall back in 2015 and 2016? They wanted him to talk about immigration, but he had no interest in immigration. He had no interest in any issue unless he could manipulate it to his benefit. But the way they got him to talk about immigration was they say, was the wall. Tell them you will build a wall. And he said, yes, I'm brilliant. I am the big builder. I'm going to build a wall from, you know, the Pacific coast to the Gulf of Mexico. And thereby, that was the basis for the wall, even though, you know, it was financially, economically, practically ridiculous. So basically, you can manipulate him, but you can't control him. And that is in the management of Trump, I guess the, he, he's got two new managers, uh, what? Yeah, uh, Susie, Susie Wiles, Wiles and, and Chris Lasavita. And Chris Lasavita. It's like, you have to accept the fact that you can't control him. You can only kind of nudge him and manipulate him by sweet-talking him. And, you know, you're not going to win all the battles. So, but, but, hey, you know, if you're taking the money, you don't care. Right. <laughs> you know, um, I, that's what this is all about. I mean, that's right. what all about for the people around him. Yeah. Mean, it's not, they don't actually believe that Donald Trump knows what he's doing or is good for the country, but it's about power and about making money off this very, very large financial operation, which is designed to take money from people who shouldn't, who really can't afford to give it and, you know, putting it into the machine and, and using it to control people and manipulate people and fly around the country and, and for one's legal fees and to pay off others' legal fees. You know, I was on the plane coming to Washington yesterday. It's interesting you bring up the cash register piece of this. And I was sitting next to a woman and started talking. It turns out she works in public policy. I won't describe the, the industry, but I said, do you understand your particular industry is the kind that if this guy gets reelected, like kiss it goodbye. Now you can save it, but just know that you will must be prepared to pay whatever it is they ask. But the, you know, I think one thing you've seen, George, and listen, you were up for a significant position in the Justice Department. I was. So you've seen him up as up close as anybody is. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I met him a few times, but I watched him very closely. Right. And I, heard, you know, I obviously heard descriptions of his behavior and so on and so forth. But again, even if it's not Trump, necessarily, the people around him, again, will be extractive to the nth degree. Yes. Right. I mean, that's how the operation proceeds. I mean, that is exactly, that's the engine that keeps this going. And it's interesting because I just wrote a foreword to a book written by an old nemesis of mine who used to attack me on the pages of the New York Observer in the late 90s when I was helping out Paula Jones and whatnot, um, a guy named Joe Connison, okay. longtime journalist. And we have completely different perspectives on politics in the past, you know, right. and, and on public policy, and we would again in the normal times. But he's written a book that describes the last basically 70 years of conservatism and points out how much grifting there was. And he traces it all the way back 
to Joe McCarthy and Roy Cohn and how that was, you know, that was a scam designed to convince people that there are communists in the State Department and then Cohn and his boyfriend would fly around to various embassies and sleep in and torture these poor diplomats. And, you know, it was a scam. And then you have the direct mail and how basically, you know, these people were making most of the money, the candidates and the issues were getting very little. And it became, this is the engine and it's perfect for Trump. Trump understood that politics could be used for grift and, and he figured that out early on. And that's part of what he and everyone, all these people were doing when they conducted their fake election scheme. I mean, that was in part because it's like, hey, we, people are going to send us money. You know, they sent him a quarter billion dollars for what? Well, I want to ask two questions. One is, and I had a conversation with my dad about this yeah. after Trump got elected. You know, my dad started working in the GOP Oh, I used to see his new le- newsletter yeah, every, you know. So he, was, he started working in the late 70s, yeah. right? And for him... There was a time, as you know, George, where you could be a Republican, you could be a conservative, and you could be a conservative Republican. We were just Republicans. He was an operative. I was an operative's kid. But there were, you know, conservatives, earnest conservatives. Looking back now, you know, as, as Stuart Stevens called it, do you believe it was all a lie? In large part, I think it was, because when you look back at the things that conservatives talked about, like balancing the budget and reducing domestic spending. It never really happened. I mean, it happened a little during the Reagan administration. One percent for one year. Right. And after that, the person who had the worst record on debt ever was Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. he, he increased the debt in four years by, a, I think, some multiple, yeah. maybe one and a half or two times, I don't know, than Obama did in eight years. Right. And the Republican Congress, members of Congress, they don't get serious about cutting the budget until a Democrat's in office. And neither party, this I'm going to both sides of this a little, neither party actually can deal with entitlement spending. And that's actually the fundamental driver of government spending and, and the reason why you know, the Democrats will demagogue any attempt to control that spending, even though you can do the math actuarially and say, well, you know, this is not going to work out in the long run. You just keep kicking the can down the road. And if the Republicans ever, if a responsible Republican ever proposed something, they'd paint them as heartless ogres. And so the Republicans just engage in demagoguery instead, just saying that, you know, you just paint this image that it's government bureaucrats who are doing nothing. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying the government's all that efficient or good, but there's a limit to how much you can get out of the government. But the fact of the matter is it's not that spending that chews up a good chunk of the economy. Well, I don't want to get off on a, a yeah, I know, budgetary I know. and or economic discussion, but the truth is too, though, is that the spending is just one side of the ledger. Correct. <laughs> right? right. Which is there's also a revenue side, right. which hasn't changed significantly right. in right. decades. Right. And, right. And, and part of that, you know, I mean, it goes back to the, the old idea that you promote growth by cutting taxes, which you do, but you don't get it all back. Right. Right. I mean, it's a long-term proposition and you have to accept that fact and you have to cut the spending. I think it's better to have the spending in the private sector, generally speaking. But anyway, there were a lot of lies involved. Oh, the whole immigration thing. I mean, you know, it's like, yes, we do have a problem controlling our borders. Absolutely, we do. I don't think anybody could deny that. But what practical, real solutions did Donald Trump come up with? He didn't want solutions. You have to compromise and get a solution, but he didn't want it. He, the, the Republicans want the issue more than they actually want to right. fix the problem because you can't build a wall. It's not physically possible. Well, that's, that's where I think... To just stay philosophical for yeah. a second, where the Republican Party slash conservatives almost became libertarian, which is 
from my perspective, libertarianism is not a governing ethos. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like it sounds good, but like when you're raging at stop signs, right, and screaming about helmet laws, like yeah. that's you know and vaccines. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where you can't govern like that. That's not a realistic way to right. do it. Well, they're not interested in governing now. And that's sort of like to go back to Joe's book, I see that that has now become so endemic, the grift, that that's what drives members of Congress right. in, in the House. I mean, you basically, you go on TV, Newsmax, Fox News, wherever, and you tweet it out or whatever, yeah. and you say something outrageous, and then you say, please send me money. And they live off of that stuff. I mean, that's the... Gates formula, the MTG formula, the Bobert formula, that's all. And frankly, they're all like that because at the end of the day, they're terrified of somebody else raising the money instead of them. Well, I know that in the fall of 20, whatever the um, Act Blue version is for Republicans, remember, they win were, red, win red. Thank you. They were charging people's credit cards monthly, right. monthly, monthly, well past yeah, the, and then they the, were also they were also they had the pre-populating right. the boxes that say to make this a recurring donation. Right. So some people didn't even know, right? So until they see it on their bank statement if they look at their bank statement. But we, who looks at their bank statement now with you know with debit cards and everything? Like but that. what it's happened was is that whatever the limit was was like twenty six hundred dollars. All these people were flying over that when Red's taking the money, depositing wherever. Now they have to start refunding all this yeah. money. Right? Oh, you mean they were going over limits? Huh? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. They geez. were going over the limits. So now in the fall of 2020, Kushner's stealing all the money from the campaign. And yeah. then the campaign has to give all this money back to donors that, yeah. they, that they took without telling them. So now basically the Trump campaign is broke. But again, remember that- Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I know. But yeah. now they didn't think that they were going to lose anyway. And then ultimately Trump didn't want to leave. And so let's talk about that. So as we're recording this, Jack Smith, the federal prosecutor who will try both Trump in Washington, D.C. for January 6th and in Florida on the document stuff, Trump keeps saying that he has immunity. He has immunity. He has immunity. So Jack Smith has gone straight to the Supreme Court yeah, I mean, to and, and ask yes. for adjudication on whether or not a former president can claim this immunity. Yeah, the, the legal term for Trump's argument is bullshit. <laughs> and I'll explain why. And I actually have, you know, even though I was a securities litigator defending class actions and under the federal securities laws, I do have a little experience in this area because I ghost wrote all the briefs in the Paula Jones case. Here's what the, what the immunity landscape looks like. In 1974 or five, or maybe six, I don't know, there was a case called Nixon against Fitzgerald and it was somebody suing Nixon about, I don't know whether it was something he did in Vietnam or something he did with the wiretaps or what in Watergate or something. But basically they tried to sue former President Nixon for damages, for him to write a check out of his own pocket for something he did as president of the United States. And the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that because we can't have the president, and this is part of Article 2 of the Constitution, we can't have presidents potentially liable for everything that they do because what they do affects so many people. So if, you know, if the president does something and it's kind of close to the line, he'll be, you know, 100,000 people could sue him. And or if he did cross the line, he'd be bankrupted. And, no, and what would happen was the presidents would be afraid to exercise, uh, engage in valid exercise of authority, lest they be personally liable for right. acting on behalf of the United States. So they created a standard that said, if the president is engaging in conduct that is within the outer perimeter, outer perimeter, those the magic words, of his official responsibility, he cannot be held liable civilly. And in Paula Jones, the question was, well, they tried to use that to defer the lawsuit, the Paula Jones lawsuit. And the answer was, well, none of this applies because what you did 
Bill Clinton was when you were governor of Arkansas, you weren't president. This isn't presidential. And then the next case was, the two cases were, were um, but in particular, the one that was important was one brought against the DA of New York County when Trump was trying to get out from the subpoenas relating to his fraudulent business right. practices. And the Supreme Court said, again, this doesn't relate to his official responsibilities. So the question then becomes, and again, that was a civil case. So yeah. the question becomes whether the president can be held liable. There's a civil component and a criminal component. None of these cases deal with criminal. And that's the difference here. I mean, the, the, what he did on January 6th was not within the official outer perimeter. So that's why the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit held in a civil case involving, I guess, Capitol Police officers held that he could be held liable potentially right. depending on the exact facts. This is criminal and there's never been, you know, the logic of Nixon against Fitzgerald doesn't apply in the criminal realm because it's just you're saying that he violated the criminal law and it's not like 100,000 people can sue. I mean, these are actual crimes committed by president and there is no basis for an immunity. The president is subject to the law just like everyone else and there's no basis for a criminal immunity. And that's the point the Justice Department is making. That's the point that Judge Chutkin strongly upheld in her district court decision. And what Smith is doing now is he's leapfrogging. He filed a petition for certiorari in the Court of Appeals, even though the Court of Appeals has yet to have briefing and argument, so that he can accelerate this and get this done before the March trial date and to preserve yeah. the March trial date. And I think he's got a pretty good chance. I mean, the Supreme Court immediately issued an order granting Smith's request for expedited briefing on the cert petition. They probably, I think, even though their next conference is January 5th, I think they probably will decide to take the case you know, in a week or two. Right. And what Smith has asked for in his papers, I read them last night, is for a briefing schedule that's basically would be finished in January. They could argue the case at the end of January or, or beginning of February. I don't know what their argument schedule is. And you could get a decision in February. This isn't a hard case. Right. And also, it's the other issue. There's a second issue involved, and he, sure. they're, they're arguing that because he was acquitted at the impeachment trial, he gets off criminally under the doctrine against double jeopardy, <laughs> the provision against double jeopardy. In the, in but the of Bill course, of impeachment but is a what, political it, it, it's, act. It's right. It's not criminal jeopardy is you know, where your life or freedom is, is at stake. So it doesn't really, doesn't really count. So those, both of those arguments are meritless. They really were just designed to see if they can kick the... Tr that, that's, that's his ultimate strategy. He wants these trials, every one of them, particularly the criminal trials, right. he wants to delay them as much as possible. And he wants to delay the criminal trials till after the election. And his... You know, he's running for president in large part because he wants to stay out of jail, which is just a remarkable thing to think when you think about it. It's, it but it's classic Donald Trump. And his view was that he could stop the prosecutions. And I think he's right if he's sworn in as president. I don't think he'd ever leave. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't. The one thing about Donald Trump is he can be truthful. And the times he is truthful is when he has, is at his most malevolent and talking about his desires and wishes. And when you've heard him say, like, I want to be president in 2032 or something like right. that, he means it. Yeah, right. He means it. I mean, he's a man. Remember, he, he actually seriously, and you remember this, right? You guys were on Utah probably at the time with the Lincoln Project. Remember when he, he said that we should postpone the election yeah. because of COVID? And yeah. he didn't care about COVID. No, no. clearly. <laughs> and that's what third world banana republics do. And he was questioning the election results all along before he even, because he knew he was going to be on the back end of that. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, 
then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. So let's talk about a, God forbid, a second Trump term, because we've tried to explain to our friends and allies alike that there's no judicial proceeding in 2024 that's going to keep him off the ballot, or if he's on the ballot, keep him from taking office if should he win, God forbid. You see, you know, there's a guy like Mike Davis, right, from this Article 3 project, who I used to know, George. Yeah, no, he, was, he, was, day, he was well he was, respected. He was, he was a, a normal smart, guy. And he's a very smart guy. Yeah. And he was well respected. He was a Senate Judiciary Committee right. staffer he forever. Was I never guy, met yeah. him personally, but he's like so many of the people we know. He's gone completely off the deep end. Right. And so now he's talking about mass he's deportations. Full, right. No, full Goebbels. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And so you're reading, you know, and it's amazing that you see some of these stories, a lot of them in the New York Times, where clearly the Davises of the world, the Stephen Millers of the world are sitting for interviews. These aren't scoops. Right. <laughs> right? No. They're sitting there telling Maggie and, and Swan and everybody else, right. like, here's what we want to do. There's always some legal expert who says, well, you know, in, you know, in his term, this court did this and this court did that. And I'm always thinking like the sweet naivete, but the dangerous naivete yeah. to think that they'd care about any of that stuff. Right. They don't. They absolutely right. don't. It's all about power. It's all about manipulating the system to accrete more power and the law be damned. Right. And the law is just an obstacle to be manipulated. And if we have the right people in the right places, we can do it. And we're not going to tolerate anybody who has any scruples about morals or yeah. law or ethics or anything like that. And that's what we're going to see in the second Trump administration. All of the guardrails which fell by the wayside right. pretty much by the end of his term, aren't going to be there to begin with. I mean, you're not going to have, I mean, you know, there are these stories that have come out in these books, post-Trump administration books about how both General Kelly and I think one other chief of, uh, what was the acting chief of staff? Um, Mulvaney. Mulvaney. They both brought in books and materials about that people had written, that psychiatrists had written about Trump <laughs> right. to, to explain to people what they were dealing with. Yeah. You know, Books that basically, this book, particularly the book, the compendium of essays that were put together by a Yale professor named Bandy Lee about how, you know, this man was unfit and dangerous. And they know that. And these people, they don't care. And one of the big challenges I think we have to meet is we need to get some of these people who know better now and who are willing to say so publicly, if not in the right biggest forms, but to get them to have you guys, for example, uh, I would love to see you guys get General Kelly to a video about telling him about what he thought, what he yeah. really thinks about Trump and ma making it go viral, putting it on TikTok, because that's the only way you're going to reach people. Yeah, TikTok is, uh, it's something else. No, uh, I know. It's, it's, it needs to be, people have been overlooking its political utility, right. except, for, except for the bad people. The bad people right. figured it out. No, and the bad people always figure it out first. Correct. Right. And, you know, that's the other part is thinking about a second Trump term. I feel like, George, and I'd be interested to see, to hear what you're hearing, what you're feeling, what you're seeing is there still seems to be, I don't know if it's willful blindness or blindness born of fear or denial that like this can't happen. Right. Again. I, I think it's a, there are a lot of different things going on. I think part of it is this like, oh, this can't happen here, which yeah. was, you know, in 2018, I was thinking 
He is dangerous, but it's a corrosive long-term effect. It's a much slower effect than I thought it was. You know, but we had January 6th, and which, which shows that it, the danger is clear and present. And I think there's just a disbelief you know, that January 6th really happened, that it was that serious. I think people just don't want to focus on the fact that we could become a third world country, in effect, yeah. in governance. And some of the things that have happened in foreign lands could actually happen here, and in fact have happened here, but for the intervention of the courts and but for an electorate that did the right thing in the end. But the other things that are going on are January 6th benefited him in the following way. They took him off Twitter and his leaving the White House got him off the radar screens of a lot of people. They took him off Twitter and Facebook and he got a lot less media coverage after because he's not president anymore, but also because he, he was shut down. They've forgotten what drove them to the polls in 2000. And they need to be reminded and they need to be told that it's going to be much worse. And I don't think it's going to be, it's like what, what we used to talk about in 2020 with the Lincoln Project. It's like you're not going to move the very hardcore pro-Trumpists. What you can do is you can pick off people at the top who right. are kind of back and forth on, on him and don't like Joe Biden, don't like Democrats, and I don't particularly like them either, but you have to scare them and right. make them understand that this guy's just bad. That has to be done again. And I think the other thing that has to be done is that one of the things that Joe Biden has going for him, even though his poll numbers suck, is that people will crawl on broken glass to vote against Trump. And they won't crawl on broken glass to vote in favor of Trump. And that, in the end, is going to save the republic, assuming nothing bad happens to Joe Biden or assuming that a third party candidate doesn't right. muck things up. So I think he has benefited from the lower profile, and that's about to end. So let me ask this. Rick and Stuart and I were up in Connecticut or upstate New York a couple of months ago, and I was talking to a former assistant U.S. attorney. This was right. a, a guy who'd been an AUSA as a very young lawyer, but right. he had sat in New York City at a couple of mob trials. So he, in the Southern District, he was yeah. AUSA. Yeah. And, um, and he described seeing a mob boss sitting there at the table yeah. as one of his button men, soldiers, capos, whatever, after another came up and said, yeah, that's the guy that yeah. told me to do it. That's the guy that told yeah. me to do it. And he said, I think Trump's going to melt down. Yeah, when he's I, I do too. And I think that is also a key. And I'm, God willing, if I can get the free time this week and next, I'm writing something about that. And I want to go back to what I wrote for The Atlantic four years ago, which was, you know, Trump is a narcissistic sociopath. And I'm not saying that so that we can diagnose him and treat him, but I think the treatment for the country needs to take that into account. And he is under a lot of pressure. He is showing the strains. He is what psychiatrists say called decompensating. He's losing his defense back. You could see it in his face when he sits there at the trial in, in New York. You could see it in his unhinged truth social posts, which are worse than ever. And the clips are just that. I mean, these clips that people need to see, and I'm glad to see that the Biden campaign is actually starting to make use of them. We did um, last week. Yeah, and he, and he attacked should, us yeah, again. Everybody, yeah, <laughs> no. And we need to go after his ego. And that's part I want to write is basically the audience of one strategy needs, I mean, it's great that the Lincoln Project is doing it, but we need everybody to do it. And it's not expensive. I mean, it was the, I mean, you remember how this, I mean, you weren't there, but the, the, how, how it all came about, it was like 
it was it was before we formed the Lincoln Project. I had lunch with Molly Jong Fast and Rick Wilson, and I I had remembered from the 2016 campaign, Brad Parscal coming in to talk to my wife, my then wife, and saying he f-ed up because he had run ads. His people had run ads, and he wasn't he didn't know anything about politics. He was saying I don't know anything about politics. I don't know anything about politics. Right. So somehow he was in charge of all the media, and he was spending money on cable networks in the District of f-ing Columbia. In order to reach people out in Fairfax County, which is insane. It doesn't right. work that it way. It doesn't work that way. And, and, and it's like I realized at that point, oh, yeah, you could just basically buy you know, local local slots. And I told Rick, I said, hey, just run ads to drive him nuts. Find out what the cable provider is for, for the White House or for Mar-a-Lago. And when you guys did it, it was unbelievable. Well, so I will say this. Everybody go to the Homefront Substack. I literally wrote a piece on this last week that said, if you want to beat Trump, attack okay, him. I'm going to print that out as soon as then I get home. Then attack you're gonna, him. You're going to get a big plug in the thing I'm writing. And attack him some more. Yeah. yeah and, and, and I and even laid it out. That's absolutely right. I mean, and, and here's the thing about it is, it doesn't cost a lot of no! money. No. I mean, you know, you need, it's great when you have some a geniuses like Rick doing it. Yeah, but, but, but Rick but, but, makes but, but, it even cheaper because he, he, writes, he, just, he, he just he just he just pops out of his no, brain. He, I mean, I think he wrote the script. We called it feeble, yeah. and it was all of this. Oh, it was all, great! And, it was great. And, and Trump went crazy, and he accused us of using AI to make this stuff happen. And I think this is a key piece of it about the ego, George. And you've seen this up close yeah. too. Is that he is so transparent? He tells you what he's afraid of. Of course he does. And and, and <laughs> he does he does he tells you what he's afraid of. You can see what he gets mad about, and. He accuses everyone else of having the characteristics that he denies that he has, of being stupid, being crazy. Being well, now you see they're saying that Joe Biden's really the anti-democratic candidate. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's complete. And that, so to, to go back to the audience of one, I think what you need to do, what people need to do is spend money on that. It doesn't take that much because you don't have to run these ads coast to coast or even in every county in a no, swing you state. You run in Palm Beach You county. run it in Palm Beach. You run it at Bedminster. Okay. It's, it's just like, you know, West Jersey. There's nobody lives in West Jersey except a bunch of horses. And I think, you know, what else we do is we run it in Palm Beach because he's sitting in the bridal suite by himself watching TV. Yeah, he's got all, he's got the, the multiple channels yeah. on, you know, and, and basically he can't help himself but respond in an unhinged manner. And the more you poke at him and that combined with the legal pressure, you will get more viral clips, which you can then use to poke him again. And the object is going to be to show the country that this guy is nuts using his own face, using his own words. It really is a way of leveraging money. And the stuff that you put on, if if it's good, like the stuff that Rick does, it will go viral by itself. You post it on TikTok, you post it on anyone, people will send it. And here's the here's and the, the matter they are the more they yeah, send. And it. here's the effect on the on, on the electorate, in my view, is you get that five percent we used to talk about the, mm-hmm. that Bannon yeah. that Bannon said that you know we have to keep that five percent. Right, we think it's even larger. We think it's even lo- 10, it's got to be larger. Now, yeah, right. And then you get those eighty million, ninety million people who want to crawl on broken glass to see this man done mm-hmm. once and for all. And then there's another effect, and I, I, I'd be interested in your thoughts on mm-hmm. this since you are at the actual political consultant. I think it would depress the core Trump vote. And I think there's evidence of that in, there was a report that got leaked, written by Club for Growth. Club for Growth did some ads where they cut some ads attacking Trump and they showed them to pro-Trump voters. And it didn't change their minds about 
who they would support in the primary. But they did find that it dampened their enthusiasm. And again, that's the reverse of the broken glass phenomenon. These people might stay home. And if you can just make them just sort of exhaust them the way that Trump exhausts people, and that's the problem. I mean, Trump just dealing with a narcissist, and, and I, I know for a fact that you, you've dealt with one, and I've dealt with some, and um, <laughs> they're exhausting. If you know, you know. Yeah. If you've ever dealt with a narcissist, and, 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 this, and Trump is like way beyond the ordinary sure. street right. narcissist you learn on the street, they are f***ing exhausting. Yeah. Even to the people who love them. Right. And they're worse to those people. Absolutely. And that is why you can depress the turnout. They'll still say they're a diehard Trump supporter, but, you know, it's raining. Right. I'm tired. I'm so tired of politics. And, these are, and that's the thing, too, about Trump is the way Trump won or, you know, won the electoral college and won the popular vote in 2016 was he drew politically disaffected people who weren't real, who yeah. weren't hardcore voters. He drew them in. And these are, but these are the marginal votes. Yeah, the lost tribes of northern Michigan. Right. right. They yeah. can, they'll stay home. You know, because they, the, remember, they don't right. like anybody anyway. They don't like anybody anyway. And hey, maybe, maybe they'll just say, well, let's, let's go for the new face. We'll vote for uh, uh, RFK Jr., well, uh, which and, I'm for that. And, and, <laughs> and what you're talking about is, is really smart for a couple of reasons. One is because in authoritarian movements, which I believe Trump is at the Correct. head of, he, no, he, he is instinctively authoritarian. Once the inv invincibility is pierced. Yes, right? that's exactly and right. And the inevitability you, and is that, pierced. And that's why this, all of this audience of one stuff, you know, whatever you are attacking him on is best if it's mocking. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Hey, Rick. Where are you, Rick? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, he can't help himself. He, no. It drives him into a rage and he can't yeah. turn it off. He still probably hate watches Joe and Mika every Right. Week. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So there was a survey out as we're recording this, George, from Michigan. Yeah. It had Trump at 50. Biden at 40. Take all the preamble yeah, yeah. about polls a year out and everything else. Yeah. Like the reason why I have a hard time believing that is I don't think Trump gets to 50 unless he was even if he was running against yeah, nobody. I agree. Right. Because I think he's 46, 47 right. tops. But now you see and this is the thing is that his base is homogeneous, but it's also brittle, which is to your point. You have all these evangelicals, a guy like Bob Vanderplatz out right. in Iowa, who's a nut in his own right. Don't no, get me wrong. But he's, I, I like where he's going right, right now. Right, which is he's helping do our work for us, which right. is he, re he knows this guy's not. I mean, 
Yeah, you got to move on to the next thing. Right. And again, this is the thing. Donors know that too. This is the game of small numbers, right? right? This isn't, we have to make sure that a million evangelicals stay home. We need to make sure that 10,000 evangelicals stay home, right? And if you can do that, just shaving that little bit off, he can't win. Right. And the other thing that's going on, I mean, with the, the talk about the polls is that people have to remember I'm glad they're alarmed at the polls because I think that that the fact that we are even talking about the possibility of him getting the nomination and getting 35, 40, 45 percent of the vote, that it's even possible and conceivable that this man who has been indicted four times and likely will be a convicted felon who won't be able to vote for the next election is just, you know, the fact that there's even a five or 10 or 20 percent chance of him prevailing is like a five or 10 percent chance of, you know, drinking polonium tea. Right. And and so it's bad. Yeah. And I'm glad people are getting alarmed. But the fact of the matter is with these polls, it's like, OK, what do you expect? Because wh- what happens is at this point in a presidential cycle, and again, you're the political saw, I'm just the lawyer. Every time you ask, you conduct one of these horse race polls, it's a referendum on the incumbent. So if they have some beef about the incumbent, you know, they're not excited by the incumbent, they'll check for the alternative. Right now, the race is about Biden. Next year, if everybody does their job, it's going to be about Donald Trump. Well, and, and Trump he can't help and Trump himself. can't help himself right. because he wants it to be about him. Yeah. And that, you know, and that's that's what happened in 2012. Obama made the race about Romney by running all those ads in Ohio and wherever in August, you know, before the convention where people saying, oh, you're running this too early. No, no, he made the race about Romney in 2016. My ex-wife made it about Hillary. Right. And that's why she lost. And then in 2020, with Trump, you know, on everybody's TV screens, exhausting everybody, the race was about Trump and he lost. So but if it by a narrow margin where it mattered. Right. That's right. It was still very well, close. Thanks to the Electoral College and whatnot. But that's the thing is the race is going to end up being about Donald Trump, who is going to dominate the news by being a criminal right. and by acting out and hopefully if the Democrats need to really learn something and they can learn it from the Lincoln Project is you go after him and trigger him. And I think everybody needs to spend money just going after him. And that's actually much more efficient having him act out and respond to these viral ads mocking him that he only, that only he sees. Then that means the mainstream media Has covers what he says and then covers what triggered it. And then people share the videos online. And people say, whoa, this is really crazy. And you can do all of this out of his own mouth. Yeah. You can you do the Don't even have to make right. it up. He, you know, the, the, the Republicans have been very good about creating smoke about, not really very good, but they, they try to create smoke about everything, about Hunter Biden. It's like, okay, yeah. fine, you know, I'll impeach Hunter Biden, go for it. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and make false accusations, accusations without evidence. There's evidence against this guy. He's the one who's been indicted. And, you know, I, I was on a C-SPAN the other day and some guy was attacking me. He's like, you never say anything bad about Biden. It's like, I'm not a particularly big fan of Biden's, but have you read this indictment? Do you read this? Read a newspaper. Read this indictment. It's not that complicated. He's a criminal nut job. And that just has to be pounded and pounded and pounded. And you pound him with it. And then he screams about it. He does and the you work say, for there you. he is. Yeah. It's the Streisand yeah, effect, right? Know, and he can't like, help right. himself. It's like, you know, it's like every book that was ever written about him, he attacks the author and attacks the book. And all of a sudden, you know, the sales go up on Amazon. Right. When we ran that first audience of one ad. Morning, Ameri- Morning in America. Morning in America. Oh, that was brilliant. That was yeah. so good. 
you know, he's out there on the tarmac saying we're all losers. Yeah. And we, you know, went, and from, it was, we went from raising $400,000 yeah. a month. We to raised $2 million yeah. that, day. that day. Yes, I remember. And it's just like, you know, that's the way to beat this guy. But it's that's f with his head. F with his head. But I want to say one more thing, more thing, and then I want to get to the Society for the Rule of Law, is what you've said several times is something that we have been trying to say, too, which is, and you see it with his primary opponents, and I put that in air quotes, is they still don't understand. Except for Christie. Christie gets it. Yeah, Christie gets it. But, but you need more than one guy doing this. Right. And somebody other than the guy on the reputation repair tour. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is he's not a politician. He's not a regular politician. Right. He doesn't care about the things that regular politicians care about. He doesn't act like that because he's not a regular human being. Right. And that's why you have to stop acting like he is. Right. You have he to is stop not acting like his campaign. He, he, is. Right. I mean, it's like what I told <laughs> I was the C-SPAN thing was a lot of fun. I was like, I could, I could do that all day taking the MAGA calls. I, I, yeah. I was like, I just I said to this guy, caller, he doesn't care about you. Right. He doesn't care about you one bit. Doesn't care about any of us. And that's the thing is he is a sociopath, a psychopath. He cares about nobody but himself. In fact, in his world, he's the only one that really exists. Yeah. And so he doesn't respond the way a normal politician would. Because even an egomaniacal, your typical egomaniacal politician who is narcissistic to some extent, and it's significantly, you have to be somewhat narcissistic to run. As my dad government. says, if you put your name on a ballot, but, you're different. But these guys, you know, right. at, at some level, though, they all have consciences, right? When they're accused of doing something wrong, you can see the guilt in their face. I mean, mm -hmm. remember when Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton is a fairly narcissistic guy. I mean, he's fairly, you know, he's full of himself and egomaniac, but he has, you know, on, on the other hand, he's got some empathy. But the thing is, remember when he, when he was accused of, of messing with, with Monica, you could see the guilt in his eyes. You don't ever see guilt in Donald Trump. You don't ever see remorse. You don't ever see any sense that he feels that he could possibly have done something wrong because in his mind, the right is whatever he wants. Right. By and definition, wrong is if whatever he did it. anybody does to keep him from getting what he wants. Right. It's purely, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's it, feral. It, it's feral. It's evil. It's he lacks basic humanity, and that's part of the problem. To go back to why people have problems comprehending it is you're not dealing with an ordinary human. You're dealing with somebody who is basically shorn of humanity. Right. No, I agree. So tell us about the Society for the Rule of Society Law. Society for the Rule of Law. I, I, you may remember we had, I formed this organization and announced it on the week of the Federal Society Convention in 2018 when mm. I had basically been off the reservation. I was a member of the board of the Federal Society. Which is now considered too squishy even too for Too squishy MAGA. even for Trump, right. <laughs> and I formed this group. It was partly like it was a support group for the conservative lawyers in town who, who were upset about Trump and upset about nobody was speaking people they knew who knew better weren't speaking out about Trump. And, you know, and, and it had a therapeutic effect. We'd get together and we'd have lunch and we'd write op-ed pieces. And some of us at the time, I didn't, but I would go and do TV interviews. And it was called Checks and Balances. And what happened was, well, we kind of let it drift after the 2020 election. We thought, you know, things will get better. And there's really no need for us to really be that active anymore. And then that turned out after because of the January 6th and the people, the people who, who now promote January 6th as a good thing and the fact that Trump is going to, you know, the fact that Trump never went away and the fact that you have all of these people who are basically every bit as anti-democratic and authoritarian as Trump now waiting in the wings to take over parts of the government, whether it yeah. be Congress or the bureaucracy, 
this is a long-term issue. Even, yeah. when, even when Trump is gone, it's going to be a long-term issue of restoring respect for the rule of law and for the democratic process. You fight at the voting booth and you fight in debate, in legislatures, but at the end, you accept the result. You have and to you, be willing to you lose. You have to be willing to lose and you have to be willing to compromise. That's and you have way. to be understand, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, and I've tried to say this a million times. Democracy does not mean that when you win, you get everything you, no, you want. It means the whole point. that you get to make right. your case. Right. You get to make your case, and you get something, if you're smart and you're persuasive enough, you can get some of what you want. You're right. never going to, the world is never going to be, and you know, this is fundamentally a very conservative view, right. because we're conserving Right. You know, we want to conserve the rule of law. We want to conserve the institutions that got us, you know, that basically make this the best. Uh, the reason why we have an immigration problem is because people want to come to the United States right. still. Right. Uh, that may change, but we'll see. Uh, and we, we need may, them. You and I may end up in New Zealand next right, well, year, <laughs> 2025. But, 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 but look, but we, and not only that, like economically, yeah. which you believe that yeah. conservatives are always sort of more on the economic yeah. side is we need them. Absolutely. We need, we need everybody from the engineer to the person right. who's going to come and start a new life, right? We need all of those people. Yeah, and the point really is that democracy, Churchill put it, remember Churchill's line about democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others that have been tried from time to time. And that's true. You have to look at democracy that way. It's messy. It's tough. You get stupid answers sometimes. <laughs> um, right. But it's better than people shooting each other. It's better than people throwing their political enemies in jail. It's better than Russia, the Soviet Union, the People's Republic of China, right. Hungary today, it requires civility. It requires accepting the rules. It requires respect for the other side. It requires empathy. And all of these things are things that we have to work on as a country going forward, or we're not going to have a country. So that's sort of broadly what, to go back to the question, the rule of law society is about. It's not really about the election. We're C4, we're C3 and a C4, so we can't, we're not campaigning not for anybody, right. but we want to bring people, remind people of what the fundamental values are of this country and how they are under threat today. And we'll put the website in yep. the uh, show notes. Well, listen, thank you so much. Where can we find you? If you still dare to be on social media, where can we find yeah, you? Yeah, I am GT Conway 3 on threads. I'm transitioning to threads. <laughs> I still occasionally post on Twitter where people know where to find me. I have been making noises about starting a Substack because I need to get back into writing, but I'm going to be writing a piece that's not good. It's going to be for a magazine, and I'm probably going to do some more writing. And I've been kind of, because I'm trying to get this piece done about Trump, I'm trying to stay off TV this month because it's just a time suck. But, you know, and preparing psychologically for next year, which is going to be, you know, it's going to be a shit show. Well, there's no question. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen, on threads and Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP, and on Substack at the home front. George Conway, and thanks I for get joining that me. You wrote. I will send it to you. Thank thanks you. for joining me. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, 
visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.